Shalom. Welcome to Simply Jewish. I'm your host, Reuven Epstein. This series of podcasts is based on the book Simply Jewish, an illustrated get-to-the-point guide to Judaism. And like the book, these podcasts are intended to explain Jewish rites, rituals, and customs, and to do so in a simple, get-to-the-point manner. Today's podcast is dedicated for a Rufua Shlema, a speedy recovery for Ruvain ben Sara HaKohen. We are continuing our discussion of life cycle events, and today we're going to talk about a bris. You've heard the term. What exactly is a bris? Very good question. A bris is the ritual where the baby boy's foreskin is removed or circumcised, hence the name bris or circumcision. Which brings us directly to our second question. Why do we perform the circumcision? And on such a delicate part of the male anatomy, although it's true that modern medicine extols the health benefits of circumcision, the reason we perform a circumcision on our baby boys is because it's a biblical mitzvah to do so. In chapter 17 of Genesis, God commanded Abraham to have a circumcision. Boys are circumcised on the eighth day of their lives. The word bris is the Hebrew word for covenant. A bris is a great and joyous event because it brings the baby, your baby, into the covenant of Abraham. We're sort of welcoming the baby into the tribe, into the Jewish tribe. Typically, a bris is held in the morning. Although it's permissible to have a bris any time during the eighth day, we always try to have it in the morning, demonstrating our eagerness to perform the mitzvot. Why wait till later in the day if you could do it first thing in the morning? Why specifically the eighth day? Well, as we mentioned, the Torah says that the bris should be done on the eighth day. Perhaps one reason for it being specifically the eighth day is that this guarantees that the baby experience at least one holy Shabbat before undergoing the circumcision. Perhaps another reason is that the baby is already stable, but still does not have sensitivity in that area and won't feel any pain. I guess this is a good point to reiterate that the baby does not feel the circumcision. Sure, he may cry because, well, he's a baby and babies cry. Or he might be cold or hungry or something else, but he doesn't feel a thing. I've been asked a number of times if the bris can be held a few days later than the eighth day so that it can coincide with a Sunday or a legal holiday or some other day that's, frankly, more convenient for people to get together? The answer, unfortunately, is is no. The circumcision is supposed to occur on the eighth day because that is specifically mandated by the Torah and the Bible. The one thing that does trump the eighth day requirement is the health of the baby. If the baby has jaundice, which is not uncommon when they're eight days old, or suffers from any other health or medical issue that leads your doctor to conclude that the delay would be best for the baby, the bris is in fact delayed. Again, 
the safety of the baby always comes first. So we've discussed some of the whys of a bris. Now let's talk about how the bris is actually performed. First, let's introduce a couple of key players. The person who actually performs a circumcision is called a mohel. The person who holds the baby during the circumcision is called the sandik. Being the sandik is not only a great honor according to tradition, it's also a source of material blessing. Parents of the baby should decide before the bris whom they would like to perform which of the various honors. Okay, drum roll please, we are ready to start. The star of the show, your eight-day-old son, is brought into the room where the bris is being performed. According to Jewish tradition, bringing the baby in to be circumcised and passing him to the sandek is the source of merit for a person to also be blessed with having their own son. Therefore, the parents select in advance a couple that have not yet been blessed with children. Parenthetically, I note that the reason for this blessing for the couple brings in the baby is because since they helped this mitzvah be performed for somebody else, then God will arrange that they'll be able to perform it on their own as well. Okay, unlike the other honorees who may or may not be mentioned by name or by their honor, we are a little more discreet with this couple for obvious reasons. Okay, so the baby held by this couple is then passed to the sandik. The sandik is sitting with an ornate pillow on his lap. Does it have to be an ornate pillow? No, actually any pillow will do. But as we've mentioned on various podcasts, we like to do these things, these mitzvot, in the nicest possible way to enhance the ceremony. Okay, back to the live action. When the baby is placed on the sandik's lap, the mohel makes the first blessing. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who has made us holy with his commandments and commanded us concerning circumcision. All assembled respond, Amen. Next, the father recites the second blessing. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who has made us holy with his commandments and commanded us to bring this baby into the covenant of our father Abraham. All assembled say, Amen. And they continued, Just as he has entered into the covenant, may he also enter into Torah, marriage, and good deeds. After a few more short blessings, the baby is given his Jewish name. Being the one who recites the baby's name publicly for the first time is another honor. So that was on your list of honors for the bris. The full text of the ceremony is found in many prayer books and is reproduced in Hebrew, English, and with phonetic spellings in chapter 9 of Simply Jewish. One more important point. The time when the circumcision is being performed is a time when the gates of heaven are open, making it an especially good time for prayer. Prayer by anyone, not just the parents of the baby. Okay, the circumcision was performed. The blessings were recited. The baby was named. The bris now concludes with a celebratory meal. The meal, which often includes lox and bagels, but that's certainly not a religious requirement. That's just something we've kind of taken on the last number of years or decades. Actually, the meal really could be pretty much anything you wish, but it should ideally include bread. 
Why is that? Because all su'udat mitzvah, meals that are a mitzvah, should include bread, as bread is recognized as the staple of our diets. I know what you're thinking. You could switch back to low carbs for lunch. Okay, there's another ritual that I would like to mention quickly, and it's called a pigeon haben, the redemption of your oldest son. We'll do it quickly, not because it isn't important. It is important. It's a biblical mitzvah, and it's on par with any other biblical mitzvah. But because it's so infrequently performed, we'll do it a little more quickly than we did the press. So why do we do a pigeon haben? Well, the reason that the Torah has this mitzvah is because back in Egypt, during the famous ten plagues, the last plague was the death of the firstborn Egyptians, very famously. And the Jewish children, firstborns, did not die. So in recognition of this, parents redeem their first son, their oldest son, by paying five shekel to the priest, to the Kohen. So the ceremony is held only if the baby is firstborn, male, born via natural delivery to a Jewish woman who has not yet had any children, nor miscarriages or abortions, and if both parents are not from the two priestly groups, i.e. Kohanim or Levine, Kohen or Levi. So as a practical matter, Pigeon Haben is a relatively rare current. Please see page 32 of Simply Jewish or email me if you have any questions about this or anything else. My email is reuvenepstein at aol.com, R-E-U-V-E-N-E-P-S-T-E-I-N at aol.com. Okay, well, that will do it for today. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please join us next time when we talk about bar and bat mitzvot. Shalom.